welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me today. And you are the chief of the Shaflo Ojibwe First Nations. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Awesome. So you're the chief. What do you do as the chief? What I do as the chief is, um, and, and the, the best example that I've given to people is a chief is almost like a mayor. You know, I'm the political body um, for our community. And so I oversee and I make sure that we um, get funding for housing, um, education, health, you know, all those important um, categories that um, that help a city or a town uh, survive, you know, economic development. And uh, I, as the chief, we also have councillors too, just like I said, a mayor has council members. So I have two council members with me. So I don't base all the decisions um, myself. You know, I have council that I um, also um, involve in a lot of our um, projects that we have out there. And I'm so happy that even through this whole pandemic, I was able to, um, well, not me personally, but our staff, uh, we applied for funding from the government to help us build three new homes in our community. That's awesome. Yeah, and and one of the things for my First Nation, Chaplo Ojibwe, um, we are a small community, like we have a small population. So a lot of the government fundings is based on population. So in our case, <clears throat> having such a low population, and I believe even uh, towns and cities too, like when they get government funding and whatnot, it's also based on population. So we always miss the boat on a lot of funding because mm -hmm. of our population. So mm -hmm. it's been a number of years since we were able to build a home in our community. So having three um, go up in the same year and during a pandemic where supplies and materials were really um, not something that was really easy to get. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we were at least able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys were able to do that too. That's so important. In your opinion, how important is it to acknowledge the land that we live on? In my opinion, um, it is very important to acknowledge the land that we live on. As Native people, we are always grateful about the air we breathe, um, the earth we walk on, like, you know, it's, it's everything about nature and our surroundings that we are thankful and grateful for. Um, it's one of the strong beliefs that we have as Native people to really appreciate that because without all that surrounding air and ground life, you know, where, where would we be today? Mm. That sort of thing. So, and also acknowledging it <clears throat> is thanking 
you know, you're, 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 you're thanking Mother Earth for everything that she provides for us. So, yeah. And I find that a lot of, um, like you'll hear, um, like some of the uh, government officials uh, before they start their meeting, they, um, they also, you know, acknowledge the land that they're, they're hosting their meeting on. So I really like that because that shows, you know, a lot of respect for, yeah. for the surrounding uh, people. And uh, it just goes to show um, whose land it was before. Yeah, yes. Thank you, Mother Nature. <laughs> what was your upbringing like? Um, so my upbringing, um, I was raised, I've always lived on, on reserve until mm -hmm. I moved here to Sault Ste. Marie. And I must admit that I was probably one of the biggest hypocrite because I said I would never leave my community. Um, but I did. And I left it so that my um, two younger children would have um, higher education. But my upbringing, um, I was born and raised in Chapleau. And my mother was a single parent. I think my parents separated when I was like a year and a half. And so I was raised with a single parent. Um, and back in those days, that was not something that was really common back then. So uh, my mother, she did not have a driver's license. Um, she didn't finish school. She didn't have uh, higher education. She went to school until she was 16. Um, and, uh, but she worked really hard to gain em employment because um, she knew she had uh, she had children to take care of and um, she got her driver's license and also growing up um, I what I never spoke our language we didn't my, my mother never taught us our language my mother is a survivor of residential school or she was a survivor. She has passed now. It's been five years. And <clears throat> she never lost her language when she was in residential school. She was there for 10 years. And uh, when she, she said when she got off the train at 16 years old, she said her aunt and uncle met her at the train and they only spoke Ojibwe and she was able to speak to them in Ojibwe. She said that when she was in residential school, she would talk to herself at night in Ojibwe. And I often struggle with why she never taught us to speak that language. And I think, you know, the more and more I think about it, I think about the traumas that was instilled in her that she probably did not want to pass that on to us. You know, she still mm -hmm. felt that we shouldn't know our language. You know, she would, you know, she, she would be punished. Everyone would be punished at the school if they did speak 
speak their language. And and growing up in Chapelo, Chapelo is a is we have a lot of French in the uh, community, and I remember myself as a child going to school. Um, there was a lot of fighting between the the French and the English, and so we went to English school, and um, we had to be careful that um, we didn't walk by the French school because the kids would be, you know, they would be teasing and whatnot. Eh? So I think also that was probably another reason why she did not want us to learn our language because she saw the fighting that was going on between the French and the English. And I think just putting another language in there would just make it, you know, more, more trouble. Um, of course, we learned um, a little bit of the language. My grandmother never—I uh, shouldn't say never. She did speak a little bit of English. She always only spoke in Ojibwe, and we always knew what she was saying. So this is this is where I really struggle with: how come I I knew what my grandmother was saying, but yet. I was not able to speak to her back. And I just think that maybe it was the confidence. Like I didn't feel confident enough that I would be able to speak the language back to her. Mm -hmm. And going back to living in Chaplo, <clears throat> when I had children, my three younger children, they went to an all French school. And I saw it as it was an opportunity for them as they got older, because Chapel being a French town, in order for you to get a job, even if it was working, you know, at the canteen, they would always ask for you to be bilingual. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to give my children an opportunity to be able to have jobs and to be able to speak in the two official languages of Canada, which is English and French. And lo and behold, we come out into the big world and there isn't a lot of places that ask you to speak French and English, unless you're working for the government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So my upbringing, I'd have to say, was very good. You know, I learned a lot of, my husband is non-native. And I talked to him about some of our stories of going hunting. And he's just amazed by it. And he, because he says, I wish I hunted like that. So we would go hunting with our uncles because my parents were separated. And my, our uncles would take us out. And if it was moose season, we would go out hunting and we would get on a canoe 
and they would paddle the canoe and we would go across a lake. We'd portage, so my uncles would carry the canoe. We'd walk through the bush, come to another lake, paddle across that, portage again, and then get to a third lake. And that's where we would hunt. And if, wow. my, if they were lucky that they would have, a, they would get a moose, it was a long process because now you had crossed over two lakes. So to harvest your moose, you had to prepare it there and then take it all back in all those steps to get yeah. back. How, how big are moose in real life? Cause I have, I've only seen like the ones in like stores and like sporting life. They have like the big real life, realistic one. I've always wanted to see one in real life. How big are they? They're really large. <laughs> A lot of people say, you know, they're like horses, but I think they're probably bigger than horses. Yeah, like maybe sure. they would be like big as, because I think Clydesdales, and I love Clydesdales. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. And, me too. Uh, I think they would probably as be, be as big as, as Clydesdales. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, I've never seen them in real life, but I'd be like, oh my God, kitty. I'd be like, come, I want to pet you. <laughs> Bad idea, but. Well. <laughs> of course, yeah. growing up in the north, they were everywhere. Yeah. No, I'm from Toronto. So like even horses are like exotic for me. Um, my mom actually uh, went to a residential school. I think she wasn't a resident there, um, but she did attend the school there. Um, and uh, her best friend was actually somebody who was Indigenous who was a resident there and uh, it's kind of coming back to her now um, with everything going on um, but yeah um, again thank you being so vulnerable and sharing that this is something that I think we all need to hear um, mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> um, yeah. for my next question um, do you have like a favorite dish or object or saying that is traditional to Indigenous culture um, yesterday I was really trying to think about a dish, an object, and so I really had to think about it because, mm -hmm. you know, we're living in a modern world. Yeah. So, you know, you have your cell phone, you have your iPad and, you know, you have internet and all that. And so I had to really think back to my time as a young person, because when we lived on reserve, we did not have, when I was, when I was young, um, I think until I was in grade two. So, pre, so before grade two, we had no hydro, no running water. Uh, so I, I really had to think back to those days and think about all the stuff that my family did. And I would have to say that as Ojibwe people in our area, we were a lot about eating our traditional wild game. We, we didn't grow you know, we didn't grow anything. We were hunters. 
and trackers. So, you know, I think one of the, the main items that we consume all the time is moose. Um, we do have partridge. We did grow up having rabbit. I don't ever remember eating rabbit because I don't know if it's just, I can't visual, visualize myself eating a rabbit because I don't eat rabbit today. <laughs> I know, I mean, I had I had pet guinea pigs, so it would be sacrilegious for me to have rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it was all about the wild game that we ate. I know a lot of people will fundraise and they'll say Indian taco night and stuff like that. And it's like, traditionally, that was not our food, but we actually just had that for lunch. My, my sister came up and she prepared us Indian tacos. So I don't know if you've ever had an Indian taco, but they serve it at, when you go to traditional gatherings or powwows, that sort of thing. It's one of the staple items they have, but I think it's probably a dish that has come from the South um, because as indigenous people, were considered North American. We had no boundaries. So, you know, our, our people traveled south, you know, we could have been down in Albuquerque and, you know, and, and picked up some of their, their ways of um, their foods. And uh, so, yeah, I really had to think about it because I thought there isn't really a dish that I could remember. And then I said, well, we were all about just wild, wild meat. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes so no, that makes sense. Yeah. And then I was thinking about an object and I thought my grandmother used to make birch bark baskets. Oh. Yeah. And I actually have one of her baskets today and I was going to bring it. And I totally forgot. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I do have one of her baskets that I kept. And um, I think it was two summers ago or maybe three summers ago. Um, we actually did a, a summer workshop with some of our youth and, and any, anyone in our community that wanted to come out. And we had a fella come in and teach us how to make birch bark baskets so because I mean my grandmother um didn't teach anyone but I could remember you know seeing the birch bark and seeing because they would use um now I'm not going to say the term right but they're like roots like small little tree roots and they would be soaking in water so that it was more easier to be able to, because you almost, it was like threading all mm -hmm. the birch bark together. I think so, they actually, um, they may have had a, um, a workshop or something that had to do with the birch bark um, baskets. I think they may have actually done something here, but I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, I feel like I've heard that before, so. Yeah, 
So I actually made one myself. So I'm kind of proud of That's awesome. that I made. And then I was thinking back again. And when I had my first child, um, and if you can believe, he will be 39 years old. Wow. Yeah. And my uncle had made me a ticken noggin. Now, a ticken noggin for us is a baby cradle. And it's the one that um, if you if you probably Google it or look online for baby cradles for Ojibwe or Indigenous people, the way it's built, it's it's wooden and it does have a cloth because you wrap the baby in it and it has a bar in the front. I remember asking what that bar meant and they said well when you're out in the bush and you're you your baby is in the cradle and you're doing whatever collecting firewood because you you know you're going to have your supper and and whatnot you put the baby you stand the baby up and the baby can look at you and whatnot and if it ever fell over that bar in the front was a protection and I thought oh that was interesting to know and some of them have they would put straps on them so that you can carry the baby on the back so I'm really glad that my uncle had made me one yeah that's awesome yeah because I still have it today and um my oldest daughter is expecting so she's really looking forward to, <laughs> she's really looking forward to being able to use the uh ticken that has been in my my family oh for that's awesome that's awesome years. yeah that's amazing so that was about all that i could think of um that my family did i know my one uncle used to do um he used to make birch bark envelopes. And I thought that was so cool. great. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, my mom would love those. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. What was the, the what was the, the baby cradle called? Tickenoggin. A tickenoggin. That was so cool. That's so cool. That's so smart too. That mm -hmm. could be used by so many parents today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Well, you know what? Actually, there is a picture of me in a Tikkanagan in our museum that we have back in Chaplo. There's a picture of me. Because they awesome. have, I think it's like, I think it was like, um, I can't remember what occasion was going on in Chaplo because I think it was like a summer fest or something. And, um, <clears throat> and so we were uptown and you know taking in the parade and whatnot and um and i guess someone stuffed a picture of me and i was leaning against a water fountain and there i was in in the tikkanagan that's awesome you should you should uh you should recreate it with uh, your baby that's coming yeah that, that would be that would be really good yeah what's your perspective on the recent tragedies in canada 
Um, the recent tragedies, um, when we first got news down in um, Kamloops, when they found the 217 um, unmarked graves, or it really threw me off for two days. I was not able to come into work because I thought I really can't even concentrate because this is just so overwhelming. And <clears throat> I think back to um, here in Sault Ste. Marie, we have a, a university and it's called Algoma University. And part of the building is the Shingwak Indian Residential School. My oldest daughter went to Algoma University and I remember walking into the school and I just had, I had just an eerie feeling when I walked into it. And then I walked into their music room and it was so dark in there and I thought why is it so dark in here and then I found out that it was their music room but it was also the church so and so it was just very sad and dreary in there <clears throat> we had went over and I had a, a neighbor, <clears throat> she has a grandson that he's older and he's walking and she says, you know what? I remember him getting a pair of moccasins because I was looking for, I don't know if you remember, everyone was going to put shoes. Yeah. So I didn't have little shoes. So I had put a message out on social media to see if anyone in my neighborhood could was okay to part with you know a pair of shoes that I wanted to place over there and so my neighbor she said I have a pair of baby moccasins and so she came over and she brought them to me so that's what I took to put down at the school there and when I was there, I just reflected on my, my mother, you know, herself being at Indian Residential School and just some of the stories she shared. And some were, some of her good memories that she could think of and some were not so good. Like, you know, it was some of the, the the dark history of it. And so when I was there, I became overwhelmed because I thought I would not be here today if my mother did not survive residential school. And I thought her whole legacy would have been gone had she not survived. So it was very moving. I've never been to because they have a, they do have a graveyard that is near uh, the Shing, the Algoma University. So I wanted to take a walk there. So as we're walking, 
I noticed these flowers and they were morning glories. I believe they were morning glories. And I thought, those are beautiful flowers. I've never seen them before, like, you know? And so we continued to walk and I said, I hope we're going in the right direction. And, and um, so we just kept walking. And finally we got to the, to the, the graveyard and it was all fenced in. And honest to goodness, the whole graveyard, the whole fenced in was filled with forget-me-not flowers. I could not believe that. My son's girlfriend, um, she's non-native. She did not know when she first met my son that he was First Nation. And so they've been together over six years now. So she, she does know. <laughs> but she herself could not believe all the forget-me-nots that were just in that grave section. Wow. I could not, it was like a blanket of them. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and I incredible. thought, I said, how appropriate is that flower in that grave? Yes, it was very moving. It was very moving. Yeah, because I just think that, you know, a lot of people, when this first came out like years ago, when they were doing the truth and reconciliation, there were so many people that were non-native that would say, just get over it. It's been years ago. And I think back and it's like, the last residential school closed in 1996. Yeah. Not that long ago. No. It was in your lifetime. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. not your lifetime, but, um, but, I'm second generation. My children are third generation. If they're still here today, you're looking at people who are still trying to get past that dark history of our people. Yeah. And it's so hard to, because uh, sometimes I, we, we will sit down together my, like with, our, with our, all my children because they're, they're all adults, they're all grown up. And they'll talk about how, you know, people say, you know, just get over it and whatnot. And she said, but when you think about other nationalities out there, she says, you know, we, we still honor the wars you know, the world wars that happened. Um, we, you still hear stories about the Holocaust. Yeah, I was just gonna say. You know, and so why is it that we should not think about what happened to us? Yeah. You know, I don't- no, that's, that's something like, I mean, that you can't just get over that like you can't you can't forget that like that's just 
that's so insensitive for people to say even just like as somebody who's been through like traumatic experiences like just like regular traumatic experiences like are hard enough to get over like to have a multi-generational trauma that you're trying to fix and reconcile and then you have people that are just like get over it that's that's not cool that's just that's so insensitive yeah because it isn't something that you can just get over no um you know i it, it isn't because even though because a lot of people will say oh well then your mom was one of the lucky ones and i'm like lucky i guess she was lucky to survive yeah but that's she wasn't one of the lucky ones. No. <laughs> no. Would you, at six years old, have someone come and knock at your door and tell you we are taking your child? That's what happened to my mother. And she said that um, when they were allowed to visit, like when they were allowed to go home, it would be like at summer break, um, she said they were told that they had to be back at a certain date. And if you did not get back on time, then you were not allowed the next year to go home. Oh my God. You know, and so my mom, she might've been in there for one or two years and her mother died um, her father had died um he might have uh, i think he passed away shortly before or after she went to residential school so she had no parents to come home to so she never left the residential school my mother went to the residential school in thunder bay saint joseph's residential school in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To this day, I don't like going to Thunder Bay. I've been to Thunder Bay because my mom, when she, we were older, she went back to school. She actually went to university and she actually became a native language teacher so she she did that in thunder bay so i would go to thunder bay because it was during the summer months that she would go there so we would go there to visit her and and then i start thinking about all the stories she used to tell me when she lived in residential school she would have like odd jobs she said she used to be a dog walker and she would talk about some of the places she would go. So I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to see and be reminded of the things that, you know, the, the different places she went because it just makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, I just don't feel I don't feel okay about it. So 
you know, and then, then you try and think about, I'm not okay with this whole residential school. If that still bothers me, you know, so I'll need to work on that. No, that's okay. Let it bother you. It's like, as like, that's, that's all I can say. Like, just, yeah. Um, no, that's not something that you can just get over no matter what people say like you can't you need to you know do whatever works for you to help you cope with that um it's not something that can be forgotten and it shouldn't be forgotten at all ever um mm -hmm. those those kids the sh survivors or not should be remembered um and found all of them um i mean i learned about residential schools uh, through my school and so I I wasn't personally I wasn't shocked when I heard the news I knew that I knew that they were there but I just I guess I didn't know I guess like the size like the amount I didn't see like how how much like how many um kids like there actually were and um I mean I'm going from both Peterborough and Toronto um and so when I was at my home in Toronto um I I have like the little Adidas superstars shoes. I have kid size feet, so all my shoes are kid size. Um, and uh, I just, I put them, I put, I had little orange flowers and they were like, like these ones fake so that they wouldn't die. Um, I uh, put them in the shoes and just put them out. And uh, I've, <laughs> I still haven't put them back inside. Um, and then over here, um, I remember I was walking somewhere and it was at City Hall. There were just all these shoes and um, I had heard about it. I had seen the pictures of them, but actually being there and seeing them, I got like emotional. Like it, like it was, it was like, it was so heartbreaking. I, I'm, I honestly don't even know what to say um, about it. I mean, thank you again for being vulnerable and uh, sharing your own, your personal experiences um it's it's shocking it's heartbreaking and uh yeah it's totally totally normal to not feel okay um yeah. I wasn't okay so yeah, yeah. I remember um w when my children were in school um in like elementary and, and secondary um I was and I'm pretty sure that all the schools that my kids went to uh, I'm pretty sure the principals, when they looked out the window and saw me walking, they probably thought, oh no, here she comes again. I was a very um, vocal and present parent for my child when they were in school. Um, I would not let anything that I thought was not appropriate happen to them in school. And I would make sure that I was right at the principal's office right away and um because living in chapel my children were minorities you know just being um indigenous and then especially for my three younger children going to a total like a 100 percent french school while they were definitely minorities in there and and then i thought back to my role in, in doing that and why I felt the need to do that was I would think about my mother, be, her being in residential school. And I said, she had no one to speak for her. She had absolutely no one. 
I said, so that definitely was not going to happen to my children. I said, I'll make sure that I will be at school for them and stand up for their rights. Good. Yes. Yeah. And I did that. And that's why I said, I'm pretty sure the principals, when they saw me parking in the parking lot and walking up, they probably thought, oh boy, here she comes again. No, that's, that's <laughs> like my mom, mama bear, when mama bear, when mama bear shows up and brings the claws, mama bear is not playing around. No, I know that. Cause I, I have, um, I had meant I was born with uh, anxiety disorder. And so I, that showed when I was a kid and like in class and teachers would often, uh, I remember being in grade two, especially there was this one teacher who um, just like singled me out of the entire class and just like treated me absolutely terribly. And mama bear was there, mama bear was there, mama bear was, you know, showing up in the office and doing everything she can. So we appreciate you mama bears, we do yeah. <laughs> for sure. Your work is very much appreciated. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I made sure that I was there for them, and uh, yes. and then and then hopefully, um, you know they they continue that, like you know, and and yes. not that I was an angry person, um, I was, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, things were done properly, and yes. you know. Yeah, because everyone deserves to be treated the same way. Absolutely, and everybody uh, deserves to have a voice for sure. Um, yeah. Yes, no, that was that's very very important. Um, so this is for my last question. Um, what helps you get through tough times? What helps me get through tough times? I guess. I mean, I know you have a dog. How how is Nick? Is he good? Oh, Nick is. He is such a good dog. I wish I could clone him. Aww. He's so, um, his nature is, he's very calm. I mean, he's a lot older now, so he doesn't put up with um, other dogs. You know, he just kind of snarls at them and, you know, <laughs> he's set in his ways. Um, but he, He's so spoiled. Good, as he should. Yes, as he should. Yes. And, you know, growing up, we always had a dog. So um, it just doesn't, I don't know. I just can't picture us not having a dog. <laughs> yes. My first word was doggy, but I have yet to have one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But, so, but, yeah you know, for us, for, for me to get through tough times, like, you know, because tough times isn't just residential school and all that, that's, you know, happening in the news, you know, tough times is in my position as well. Like, you know, I've been, I've been the chief for, and it'll be in September, the end of September will be 24 years wow that's incredible yeah wow. um we don't have elections we follow the old ways of being a chief where you get appointed and it's passed down through your family and uh so i'm here for as long as i want to be here and i remember when i first took on the role 
um, I had said to my counsel that if the going gets tough, I'd be moving out of that position. And so I think I was probably about two years in and I approached my counsel and I said, okay, I don't want this stress anymore. I'm done. And they said, whoa, wait, <laughs> we don't know who we would put in that position. You know, so I said, okay, I'll stay here. But I said, if I get to this point again, you're not talking me out of it. Here I am 24 years later. <laughs> Funny how that works, eh? I know, I know. And, you know, it was really tough in the beginning because my community being so small, we're all, we're all related. You know, I, I have two sisters, I have three brothers, um, I have cousins. So it was really hard when in, in like in the beginning, one like sister might say, well, why does she get that? And I don't get it, you know? So it was kind of really getting through that type of um, family dynamics. I had to be able to take that sister hat off and you know, and do it where this is the logical part, reasoning why, you know, so, and, and I think that's just how it made it work so much easier, because I had to take that sister hat off, mm -hmm. and do things that were for the betterment of the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, well, those were all the questions I had for today. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being so vulnerable and being so open with me. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. Um, yeah, that's for me, for my side. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. I know I usually like to be prepared and, and it seems like this topic is something that you really can't prepare yourself for. No. Um, I remember when Emily was in high school and they were, they were doing a little, and I don't think it was in the curriculum, but I think it was her teacher that wanted to talk about Indian residential school. And she said that they watched one of the movies, uh, We Were Children. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's a, it, um, you know, from the National uh, Film Board of Canada. Okay, that was the only place that I could get a copy of it, but I heard it was on iTunes, but I'm not sure. Um, but she said they watched it in school. And then her teacher had asked if I would come in to uh, give a talk on a residential school. So I told Emily, I said, I guess she volunteered me to go. So when she asked me if I would go, I said, all right, I'll go, but I'm only talking like 10 or 15 minutes. I said, because normally when I talk about residential school, I, I said, I end up crying. And I said, so I said, I'm only talking for 10, 15 minutes. I said, so she said, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, when I got there, next thing you know, the bell rang. 
I had talked the whole period. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. And the students that were there were like at the edge of their seat, just like consumed with everything that I was talking That's about. Awesome. That's the best reaction. Yeah. And so the, the teacher says, uh, I think you all need to get to your class. And they're like, no, we want to hear this. You know, so I think I might have talked another five minutes and I said, I can't hold you up on your next class. <laughs> That's awesome. Time flies and you're advocating. <laughs> yeah.